Hi listeners, I'm Zoe. And I'm Madden. And you're listening to the Unnamed Doe Podcast. And today, I have a story that closely relates to some of the other stories we've told you before. This is the story of the woman on the beach. I already told Madden this when I picked this case. I didn't tell her how, but this case is so closely related to a couple other cases we've discussed before, so I'm excited to share it with you guys. But I'm gonna let you figure out how it's connected as we go along. On April 25th, 1972, the body of a woman was found on Bel Air Beach by a 15-year-old boy who was surfing. Her body had washed up on shore. The woman was discovered without her head. Even though her head wasn't discovered, the items found attached to her body were strange. She had wires attached to lead weights on her body. According to the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office, she had between 10 to 12 pounds attached to her body. One of the weights was identified as Selco brand. The wire used to attach the weights was, quote, Walkerson 900 Machine Tool 12 type THW slash 600 V, end quote. This all seems super specific. Was any of it super important to the details of the case? Well, we actually learned that the wire was last manufactured in 1962. Didn't you say this case is from 1972? I did. So this wire was last manufactured 10 years prior to Jane Doe being found. Now, Madden, I actually asked you to do a deep dive into the brand of weights that were found on her body. Now you know why I asked you to do that. Can you tell us about them? I wasn't able to find any pictures of the weights, but it seems like they were fishing weights of some type. That's what I was getting as well. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of information about these weights, but they do seem to be fishing weights from what you gathered. And I saw something on a web sleuths page that talked about that, but that is literally like the only information I found about these weights. And I don't know why, but it's weird. I agree. I really expected there to be more information out there about the weights, but there just wasn't. Whenever you search those brand weights and then 1972, all that pulls up is her case. So I don't know. How long had this decedent been deceased for? Even though the wire was last produced in 1962, it seems like Jane Doe had only been deceased for one week prior to her discovery. And she was discovered in April 1972, right? Yes, April 25th, 1972. So only a week before then. That's not very long. No. Were they able to determine a cause of death? That's a good question. But before we discuss her cause of death... I want to take a moment to address something that we've messed up a couple times in the past. It's come to our attention that we have accidentally been mixing up cause of death and manner of death. These terms seem very similar and they're related, but they actually mean very different things and we've been using them interchangeably. So we just want to take a second and clear this up because we're going to be more clear going forward and we apologize for any confusion that we've caused so far. So according to the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner of Maryland, Cause of death is, quote, the underlying medical condition, disease, or injury that begins a lethal chain of events resulting in death, end quote. So cause of death is something like a gunshot wound, a heart attack, strangulation, etc. Manner of death, on the other hand, is, according to the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner in Maryland, quote, the way in which a death occurs, which may be homicide, suicide, accidental, natural, or undetermined, end quote. This is a really self-explanatory way of thinking of it, but cause of death is what caused someone to die. And manner of death is like the classification that their death falls into. So hopefully that makes sense and you're able to use that knowledge going forward. 
Yeah, and we're sorry for any confusion that that has caused. We're going to do better about that going forward. Now, to answer your question about Jane Doe's cause of death, we don't have it. The Doe Network says her cause of death is homicide, but as we just agreed, that's manner of death. So I don't know what specifically caused her death. I just know that her death is a homicide. It is a little weird to me that they weren't able to determine a cause of death, considering that she had only died a week prior. We know she washed ashore without a head. Was that done post-mortem? Could that be the cause of death? So I don't know if her decapitation happened before her death or after or could be her cause of death. That's not listed anywhere that I saw. Any idea of what her cause of death could have been is just speculation that I don't think we have enough information to really go off of. So we're not working with that much information right now. What else do we know? We do know that Jane Doe was found without any clothing. According to the Doe Network, Jane Doe was found with no clothing, no jewelry, or personal items. And the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office, on their website, they do point out that Jane Doe was found nude when she washed ashore. So there's no personal items, no clothing, no jewelry, no nothing she was found with, except the weights and wire that were weighted on her body. Is there anything else that we know in this case? Because it is useful to know that she was found nude, but unfortunately it doesn't leave us with a lot of physical evidence. Right. There is something interesting that we do know. About three days prior to her body being found, apparently a body had been seen floating in the water in the area. The floating body was actually seen half a mile south of where the body was eventually discovered. This is extremely morbid, but hopefully it was the same body and there aren't two bodies floating around. I think the consensus is that the bodies are the same. It's not confirmed anywhere, but I know the Doe Network points this out and they never recovered the body three days prior. So I think the general consensus is that this is the same body. So the body was reported floating three days prior, but they couldn't find it? I guess. This area, we'll learn, is a beach town area. I could see it that some beachgoers were out. They spotted something. Maybe they thought it was debris. And then they realized, oh, that looks like a body. So they reported it. And they couldn't just call on their cell phones from the beach. They would have had to go find police or find somebody to contact because this is the 70s. And by the time they got back, they just weren't able to find the body. I guess that makes sense. So you said that it was about a half a mile south, right? Yes. Do you have a map that I could look at? I actually have a series of maps. We're going to go through a little map journey real quick. And we're going to get back to the half a mile thing in just a second. Okay. So this case is in Pinellas County, Florida. Her body washed up on the Bel Air Beach or Bel Air Shores area. And the first photo I have for you is just basically the state of Florida. So you can tell us where in Florida we are talking about. Because I assumed incorrectly when I was reading this case about where this case was taking place. I assumed it was South Florida by like Miami and Fort Lauderdale. I was assuming it was like Central Florida, like on the Atlantic coast. Daytona Beach or yeah, that's kind of where I was assuming. I don't know why I assumed that. That's just what I thought. But I'm glad that we were on the same page that we both thought this case was happening not where it is. So can you tell our listeners where this case is taking place? Yes. This case is taking place on the western coast of Florida on the Gulf of Mexico side. It's pretty much dead center down the coast. It looks like it's really close to St. Petersburg. It's slightly north of St. Petersburg. And if you zoom in on the map, you can tell that it's close to Clearwater and Tampa. That's exactly right. 
Now this next map I have for you is a close-up image of Bel Air Shore. Bel Air Shore is actually a town. It's a very small beach town. <laughs> Madden, I'm gonna have you talk in more detail about this with the map I just sent you. It looks like Bel Air Shore is a tiny little beach community on an island that's off the coast of the mainland. And it's connected back to the mainland with a pretty short bridge by the looks of it. So yeah, it's a really narrow strip of land that runs parallel to the mainland. Exactly. So I was really confused while getting together my source material because everything kept saying Bel Air Beach. The Pinellas County Sheriff's Office website actually said Bel Air Shore. And that's why I was really confused for a while because beach and shore are two different words. Are they? (laughs) So I wanted to look up what the difference was geographically. What is Bel Air Beach, Madden? And can you tell us what you're seeing? It looks like Bel Air Beach is on the side of the island facing the bay and facing the mainland shore. Whereas Bel Air Shore is facing outwards towards the Gulf of Mexico and it's on the ocean front. There's a little bit of Bel Air Beach on the ocean front, like of the Gulf of Mexico, but not much of it. Most of it's on the bay side. Right. So I looked at the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office website and they gave a very, very detailed description of where she was found. They had the last place she was seen as, quote, beachfront between 620 and 640 Gulf Boulevard, Bel Air Beach, Florida, end quote. I pulled this up on a map. And can you tell our listeners what you're seeing? It looks like she was found on the Gulf of Mexico side in between 6th and 7th Street, obviously off of Gulf Boulevard. And Gulf Boulevard is the road that runs all the way up north-south, the shore of the island. And then you've got side streets shooting off of it, like 5th Street, 6th Street, 7th Street. So she was found off of Gulf Boulevard, kind of between 6th and 7th Street, but towards the water because she washed up from the ocean. I did have a question for you though. You said that she was last seen, but this isn't the case of a missing person. This is the case of an unknown doe. So does last seen mean just the place that she was found? That's what I'm assuming. I got that information off the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office website, and they have a table of all their unsolved murders that has a lot of really useful information. And it says, Last seen location, something to that effect. So that's just what I said because that's what the website called it. I think it's just meaning where she was discovered. I don't think it means anything. I think it's just the way that the website's formatted. Okay, makes sense. Ultimately, it seems like she was found on the ocean side or the Gulf of Mexico side of this little island. And we know that a body was seen floating in the area three days prior to Jane Doe being discovered. And this was about half a mile south from where her body was discovered. So you can imagine, based on everything that we've told you so far, that it's the same general area. And it's not confirmed, like we said, that the body floating three days prior to her discovery is our Jane Doe, because that body was never recovered, but it seems very, very likely. We've covered all of the big logistical things, but what did this Jane Doe look like? So here's what investigators in 1972 knew about what Jane Doe might have looked like. They knew she was a white female, about 5'1 and 125 pounds. They also said she had brown hair. I'm not 100% sure how they got that information since she was discovered without her head, but that's what they guessed, I guess. Maybe there was hair wrapped up in the fishing wire? That's the only thing I could assume. I don't know. We're just gonna go with it. 
After her autopsy was conducted, they also determined that she had no distinguishing features like tattoos or scars or anything like that. If she had had her head when she was found, would she have even been recognizable? I'm not 100% sure, but I doubt it. Namus says she was not recognizable and was decomposing. And I looked up how decomposition works specifically in water environments, because I know that gets really tricky. And I found an article from the National Library of Medicine about decomposition in water. I wanna give a brief warning really quick, because if you check out this article, which will be linked in our sources on our website, there are pictures of decomposing bodies. Please take care while looking at this source because they are graphic. According to this article, decomposition in water is affected by a variety of factors like temperature, current, animal predation, and how the body interacts with the natural environment. It also, according to this article, seems that decomposition in water slows down the process of decomposition. However, it's accelerated once the body is taken out of the water. I feel like I've always heard that when a body's in the water, it decomposes way faster. That's what I was thinking and I couldn't remember, so I looked it up. Decomposition is just so weird and it's so difficult. I guess I'm glad other people study it because that couldn't be me. It could never be me. I couldn't study decomp. I almost threw up looking at that article earlier. That's why I had to give the content warning. Decomposition is a very uncomfortable topic. It's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. Right. It's not something that I have a particular interest in, and it kind of grosses me out. But I know it's very important when you're talking about these cases, because time since death is incredibly important in homicide investigations, especially when the victim's unknown, because then you can know when the person likely would have gone missing. It's just important, and it's something that I wanted to bring up. And ultimately, what I gathered is that the process of decomposition is just very, very variable. This is just one source, like we said. People do studies on this kind of stuff all the time. I just found this useful to help understand the information about if she would have been recognizable because decomposition does affect that. I'm really glad you pointed out how variable this process can be. And we have such huge respect for the people that study decomposition and work with remains that aren't skeletonized because it's a whole different ballgame and... It probably couldn't be me, but I so respect people that can do that. Yeah, and they give us information that's really critical for investigations. So you said they did an autopsy and they didn't discover any distinguishing features like tattoos or scars or anything. Did they learn anything else though from the autopsy? I don't know if they learned this from the autopsy or how they specifically got this information, but they estimated that she was in the adult pre-70s group or more specifically between 35 or 65 years old. Also, in 1972, they didn't find her eye color because obviously her head wasn't recovered. But everything would change in 2021. What happened in 2021? Well, 2021 is when the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office asked for outside help. They reached out to Parabon Nanolabs. You and I know a lot about Parabon Nanolabs, because it's something we encounter when we're doing research. So what do you have for us? Because I know you did a deep dive. I did do a deep dive. For those of you who don't know, here's a brief rundown of Parabon. Parabon Nanolabs is, according to their own website, quote, a vertically integrated DNA technology company that develops next generation therapeutic and forensic products by leveraging the enormous power of DNA, end quote. Wow. (laughs) They think very highly of themselves. That is a statement right there. (laughs) (laughs) That's intense. 
So obviously, we're very interested in the forensic aspect of what Parabon does. The primary thing we hear about most with Parabon is their Parabon Snapshot. According to their website, Parabon Snapshot is, quote, genetic genealogy, phenotyping, ancestry, and kinship analysis, end quote. Genetic genealogy we have talked a lot about. This is the combined use of DNA information and public databases to build family trees. DNA phenotyping we have not talked about at all. So DNA phenotyping claims to be able to essentially predict what someone looked like based on their genetic information. And the last one, kinship inference, is also one we've never talked about on our show before. According to Parabon, kinship inference is able to, quote, determine kinship between DNA samples out to six degrees of relatedness, end quote. Parabon has been a hot, hot topic of conversation in the media and the forensic worlds. In the beginning of this technology, everyone was super, super hyped about what this was doing and what it could do. We were able to get snapshots or basically like digital photos of what an unidentified person or a suspect of a violent crime looked like. Just using their DNA. Just using their DNA. Everybody thought this technology was gonna work perfectly and be amazing, and it did prove to be revolutionary. However, it's based on estimations from your DNA. It's not 100% accurate, and a lot of the images look very generic. And there's some other issues that have come up since Parabon released this technology, such as racism, losing sight of any potential suspects or matches to does because they don't match the snapshot, and the photo's not at all looking like the individuals they're supposed to look like. That's a very brief general overview of Parabon. There is a lot more out there. You can do deep dives all day, every day, for a week or so. very brief general overview of Parabon. There's a lot more that we could get into and maybe we will in the future because this technology is used all the time. But it's not 100% perfect right now. But I think there's great potential for Parabon Snapshot. Like I said, we're not going to get into all the nitty gritty details of how they do it today or the issues with it. But I wanted to bring all this up because Parabon is extremely important in this week's case. I remember everyone being really excited about it. And then with every reconstruction that came out, people became less and less enamored with it as the reconstructions continued to look more and more like some weird amalgamation of a random person. And this is no hate at all to Parabon Nanolabs. I think it's really cool technology, but I also think that their pictures start to all look like the same person, which is not the most useful. Right. I think the technology is great. Like, I think the idea and the concept is revolutionary. I don't deny that at all. I just think there's some serious issues that have to be worked out. Even beyond issues of the technology, there's social issues that have to be worked out too. But regardless, the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office contacted Parabon for help with this case. And you said 2021, right? Yes. This was in 2021. They asked for a snapshot, which is the DNA phenotyping we talked about, to be made of this Jane Doe. Parabon made two images of this Jane Doe with an average BMI of 22 and one being aged 25 and one being aged 45. 
The first snapshot that I have is the 25-year-old image, and the second is the 45-year-old image. Madden, can you describe these images to our listeners? If you want to follow along or look for yourself, be sure to check out our website and our Instagram. I'm not going to lie. These pictures are kind of terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Madden, tell them what you really think. (laughs) Parabon, we don't hate you. Don't come at us. Don't sue us. I feel okay saying that because this was not done by an artist. I don't feel like I'm critiquing a person's hard work. This was done by a computer system and it's cool technology, but it doesn't look great. It doesn't seem helpful either. It does not seem helpful in the slightest. This is a very, very generic reconstruction. We always say that sketches sometimes look really rough of Jane and John Doe's, but these are rough too. They just... I could not pick this person out of a lineup if you put it in front of me. No, because you just can't. It could be five different people or 500 people or it could be one person, you know? All I'm looking at is a white woman with blue eyes and brown hair. You can kind of tell which photo is older, but not really. I didn't even realize that this was an age progression photo. They just kind of look like face blobs. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There's nothing distinguishing about them. They kind of don't even look that similar to each other. It's weird. It's like you're looking at a thousand different faces in one. So like we've established, this Jane Doe's head was never recovered. So this is the closest we'll ever get to facial reconstructions unless her skull is somehow found. This also means we'll never be able to really check how accurate these snapshots are until Jane Doe's identity is uncovered. I want to take a moment to point out that there are other things that impact our facial features and our appearances other than our DNA. Our individual lifestyles change our appearance. Your face is going to look different if you are at different BMIs or different, which BMI stupid, Mm -hmm. but they said they put her at a BMI of 22, which is the average you didn't see my finger quotes there but if somebody smokes they're gonna look different like their facial features are gonna look different if somebody is always exhausted they're gonna look different if they spend time in the sun exactly there are so many factors of life that change your appearance that's why it feels like it could be anybody because it lacks all personality science can't pinpoint what we look like based off of our diets hair choices or anything else that we do in our lifestyles because science doesn't know who we are as people dna just knows who we are at our most basic level and these snapshots are just going off of the dna predictions and they're just estimations of what she could have looked like so again we're not going to know how accurate this is until jane doe is identified and that's why it looks like it could be anybody right now There was one feature that Parabon was able to predict that we had no idea of before, and that was Jane Doe's eye color. According to Parabon's snapshot report, Jane Doe likely had blue or green eyes. And this is on a scale on the actual snapshot document where it says most likely to have these eye colors, very unlikely to have these colors. It's just an estimation. It's like a sliding scale of color and whatever the genetic code for that is, they read and they give you that estimation. It's interesting that they said blue or green because her eyes in the picture are definitely blue. Yeah, but everything says blue or green. I guess I just had to pick an eye color to do their snapshot, and I guess that's the more likely one of them. 
Now, the sheriff's office didn't just ask for a Parabon snapshot. They also asked for that genetic genealogy research, which actually proved to be extremely useful in this investigation. According to what Parabon was able to determine about Jane Doe, she had Italian ancestry. Furthermore, the Doe Network says that Parabon was able to uncover, quote, the identified genetic descents of Jane Doe 1972 are all originally from New Jersey and New York, end quote. That's really specific. But wait, there's more. They have identified her possible first names as Rose or Julia and her possible last names as DeVito, DeVita, Sorel, Jurel, or Jurel. I hope I'm pronouncing those right, but those last two are the ones that I'm most confused about pronunciation, so I'm going to spell them out for you. The first one is G-O-R-E-L, and the second one is G-O-R-I-L. Either way, that is insane that they have that many names narrowed down for this Jane Doe. Now we've seen in other cases where they've had possible last names or first names, but this is from genetic genealogy research that Parabon has done from this genetic information that we have of Jane Doe's. What's really interesting, and I've never seen in a case before, is NamUs has census records for somebody named Julia DeVito on this Jane Doe's NamUs profile. They have the 1920, 1930, and 1940 United States Census. In the 1950 United States Census, they have a line for Julia Sorrell, another possible name. They even have the 1915 New York State Census that has Julia DeVito listed. Weird that they have a couple different names on a couple different censuses. Well, I think there's a simple explanation for that, which we'll get to in a second. Okay, so why hasn't she been matched yet if we have been able to track her through the census, and we have a name. I don't know. Let me take you through the census documents really fast. Okay. This is a lot of information, so bear with me. But I think it's really interesting and really important. The 1920 U.S. Census lists Julia DeVito as being 11 at her last birthday. The 1930s U.S. Census lists Julia's age at her last birthday as being 20. The 1940s said she was 29 on her last birthday. In the 1950, it is said she's 40 as of her last birthday. And this is the only census where somebody named Julia is married. This is where that Julia Sorrell comes in. The Julia DeVito that we tracked from 1920 to 1940, they think is Julia Sorrell who is married in that 1950 census. Okay, so her name changed sometime between 1940 and 1950. That's what we're assuming. This Julia Sorrell was married to Albert Sorrell. All of the U.S. Census reports say she was born in New Jersey, so I believe that this Julia is the same person. It was really confusing at first because of the birth dates not being all exactly 10, 20, 30, and 40. I think maybe the data was just collected at a weird time, like maybe her birthday was right around that cusp but when they were collecting the data. I don't know for sure, but that makes sense. Like, it's all very reasonable. I think this is all the same woman. Especially for NamUs to put this all in as the same person, I think they almost know who she is. This would put Julia in her early 60s when Jane Doe was recovered in Florida. If she's Jane Doe, I don't know how she ended up in Florida, but we're not there yet. So this is an abrupt change really quick. We had to stop recording our last session and then we came back and I got hit by allergies. So I'm really sorry for this last little bit. My voice is gonna be a little shaky and a little rocky. I hope you guys will still listen, but 
Something I did want to point out is that census records only become available after 72 years. So in 2022, they would have only had access to the 1950s census records. So that could be part of the reason that it just stops there. So this is the part where we normally talk about potential missing persons. Right now, I haven't found any missing person who matches Julia or DeVito or Sorel or Jarrell or DeVita. And honestly, I feel like this lead is pretty strong. I have to wonder, though, we saw in my last case about Margaret Federoff, who was identified, that they thought her name was Jasmine or Jazzy, and it turned out to totally not be her name. So is it possible something like that is happening with this? I think it's possible, and I know that we don't know 100% that this woman's name is Julia DeVito or Julia Sorrell, but this is coming from genetic genealogy. I believe that you said that the information in your case last week about Margaret was that her name came from a tip. Yeah, it did. Genetic genealogy is obviously not 100% perfect because nothing's 100% perfect, but I tend to trust this a little bit more than just a random tip. So unfortunately, I don't think there are any potential matches out there. I think that someone probably knows who this Jane Doe is and just never reported her missing for one reason or another. I think in this case, it's probably the name we have. So until someone comes forward saying they know someone with that name, I don't think you're going to find a missing person that matches it. We do have several exclusions, though, that I would like to mention. The exclusions for this Jane Doe are Marjorie Wilson from Seminole, Florida, who is actually listed twice on the exclusions because she has two different NamUs profiles with different dates of her last contact. I don't know what's going on there, but that's just how it is. It's not important, I don't think. Kathleen Folk Pine from Manatee, Florida. Mary Van Gilder from Richland, Ohio. Peggy Byers Baisden from Polk, Florida and Mary Market Cook from Polk, Florida. Yup, I knew they were coming in. I knew that Peggy and Margaret were going to be in this story because when you told me about this case, I immediately was like, that's the one Florida exclusion that they did in Margaret's case. And if you haven't joined our Patreon, you don't know all the details of Margaret or Peggy's cases. If you wanna hear that, you can go over there. But I know a lot about these two women, so I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Well. There isn't really anything to say about them in this case because they're excluded. Okay, never mind then. (laughs) If you want to hear more about their cases, though, be sure to listen to our episode in the feed of Edna. And if you want to listen to a more in-depth case on Margaret that mentions Peggy, be sure to join our Patreon. So I assume these women were all excluded from being this Jane Doe because of her DNA. But we also know that her fingerprints are available. Unfortunately, we know that her dentals aren't available because her skull has never been recovered. We also typically theorize or speculate here about what could have happened to this Jane Doe, but all we know is her manner of death, which is homicide. There are plenty of theories out there, including maybe the connection to the serial killer Oba Chandler, who was known to float his victim's body in the Tampa Bay area. I thought maybe there was a connection to organized crime, but we don't even know her cause of death, so I don't want to put a whole lot of theories out there about what could have possibly happened to her with not enough facts to back it up. As far as what we can do next, I think the answer is pretty simple. Keep doing genealogical research. There seems to be a really great sample of DNA that investigators have to have to have gained so much information. I think that this case is so close to being solved. I think law enforcement just needs to keep pushing, keep digging through records to find out if this could be Julia DeVito or Julia Sorrell. If they find a family member who's willing to give a DNA sample, and we could see this Jane Doe's identity released soon. 
I think it truly could be any day now that we hear about the identity of Pinellas County Jane Doe. If you have any information about this Jane Doe, please reach out to the appropriate authorities. We will have those linked on our website. And in case you've forgotten, our website is theunnameddoe.com and our Instagram is theunnameddoe underscore pod. Be sure to go check these out to see the photos we discuss in our cases. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out our Patreon. We have two Patreon episodes already live right now if you need an extra fix right this second. One is a full-length episode, and the other is a mini-episode. You can get access to both of these episodes and an extra full-length and mini-episode every month for just $5 when you sign up for our Detectives level. We donate a portion of the money earned from this to organizations working to solve cold cases. The students at CMOS Anthropology Lab are so close to their fundraising goal for the case in their lab. Be sure to go check out that fundraiser and we're still going to donate to them. This is the first organization that we will be donating to with your help. Thank you to our patrons already and we hope that more of you will join us. If you can't swing the Patreon right now, no problem, we're just glad you're here. But still be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening to us at. This will help us reach more people with these stories that so desperately need attention. Thank you for joining us on the Unnamed Doe podcast. We'll see you next week. This podcast was written and researched by Zoe Reese. All editing was done by Madden Delaney. Our theme music was created by Zoe Reese.